what we've discovered is there's there's kind of a dual problem in the West, especially in America. One of them is um, the pr- first one is the procrastination of adulthood. Um, there's a thing that doesn't exist in in other parts of the world and hasn't existed over the centuries. A thing called adolescence, a thing called teenagers. Uh, and they do exist, and we, we love teenagers, we love adolescents, but one of the things we're charged with from the Bible is that we would help boys become men and girls to become women uh, and not go through just a, an ambiguous phase where they don't really know who they are uh, or what they're called to. And so there's a strong call. Um, I, I, uh, I heard somebody a couple of years ago say, um, uh, say that I'm not raising boys. They said, I'm raising men. And that stuck with me. And, and I know even Dave, his, uh, his website is raisingmen.net. And it's a tremendous uh, place to go to for good wisdom uh, for parenting. Um, and that's what we're trying to get as well as in the Thief family. And what, what I charge you guys with is that you would uh, raise, raise men. Um, another problem outside of the procrastination of adulthood is that there's just here in America, there's no real markers for growing up, um, whether that be uh, to, uh, girls becoming women and uh, boys becoming men. Uh, and, uh, and so we want to look at for every place that we can celebrate when, when our, our boys mature and our, our girl matures, when they take different steps. And there's a good friend of mine that... Um, uh, he's a pastor in Memphis, and he talked just recently about this, about how when their oldest child got through with sippy cups, they celebrated it. And what they did is they took the big box of sippy cups, they took it down to the river and threw them all in the river and watched them wash away. I know that's not very green, but I love it. Um, I know uh, even uh, Dave, Burke, and Karen, uh, there's a video I watched of them when they cut the passies. They cut the tips of the passies to where they couldn't suck on them anymore. And, uh, uh, it was kind of a, that was more of a hard celebration, I think, but, uh, but it helped them to get, to get past, uh, the passies. And, uh, so part of what we're, we're doing, and we're even looking at some other things that, that may even come before 16, uh, for some of the other kids. But, um, one of the things we wanted to do, wanted to have some kind of a trip at this age, um, for the guys to take with, with their mom and the guys to take with their dad. And so um, Danielle and Blake just recently got, got to have a weekend together. It's what's called Outback America, uh, a tremendous uh, organization and a great little camp. And so they got to go camp for a weekend together. Um, and then Blake and I just recently got back from a trip to Colorado uh, that was just phenomenal uh, as we talked about Jesus and manhood. Um, it was tremendous. And then this ceremony really caps it off. This is, this is the ceremony. And that actually brings us to the first of, of two gifts um, about marking manhood. Um, let me go ahead and grab it. Blake opens that up. Uh, one of the marks of manhood normally is is when you start getting some peach fuzz and uh, start to shave. And so what I've done is I've started a year subscription at the Dollar Shave Club. And if you've not Googled that or seen the videos, you must do that uh, after the ceremony. <laughs> so... Um, what uh, What we want to be very plain here is that that um, Blake's not the hero, you're not the hero, I'm not the hero today. Jesus Christ 
is the hero of our life. Um, God's love for us and his acceptance of us, who those who have put faith in him, is not based upon our goodness, but upon Jesus's. Blake, we'll make it very clear to you that our acceptance of you is not you being very good or you not doing bad things. As your mom and your dad, our love for you is based upon that you're God's gift to us and you're our son, and nothing will ever change that. That's unconditional love, and that's the love that God has given to us. And so to be plain here for you as well, manhood is not about him getting everything right, but about him trusting in Jesus who got everything right. And that's what every man, what every woman, every student, every boy and girl needs uh, to know that this greatest news is Jesus lived the perfect life because you and I don't, that he took the punishment that you would have received and he died with our sins upon him on the cross. But our sin didn't defeat him and death didn't defeat him because he rose again from the dead on the third day. That is the greatest news in the world. And our hope is that any of you, any of our friends or family that may be in here, that if you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, that even tonight would be the night that you would do that. And it would be one of the greatest gifts to Blake to know that you tipped over, you had that aha moment, and you surrendered to Jesus Christ. Uh, and certainly that every one of you would be encouraged uh, tonight. Um, Blake, um, Jesus, uh, this is a thing that's said about Jesus and the reason why we're saying manhood is to become more like Jesus. It said this about him. Isaiah 61 said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those that are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This talks about a God that loves broken people. And he, he pulls broken people together. He loves them, and he sends them right back out to the broken. This was a God who stooped. He came, and he became broken so that we could be whole. And I tell you this, real men stoop. Real men diminish. Real men say, may I decrease so that Christ may increase. And, and that's my encouragement to you. And I'm going to charge you here in just a little while with a few other things. But my encouragement to you is to know that real men stoop like Jesus. And Jamie, uncle to Blake, if you'll come up and uh, pray for us. As you all know, I'm Jamie Memna and I am Blake's uncle. So I'm excited about this. Uh, both his aunt and I were there and uh, we're privileged to see you when you were born in your birth. Now we're going to be a part of your rite of passage. So shall we pray? Lord, we just come to you right now in the name of your Son and the Holy Spirit. And Father, we just want to ask you to move right now upon Blake as he takes this step into manhood. Lord, we, we know that in your word it says that we are to study, to show ourselves to be approved, to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And so, Lord, tonight, this is about Blake stepping up. It's about Blake studying. It's about him doing the work to research, to 
to review the things that he's going to do in life, the decisions that he's got to make. And we pray, Lord, that every decision that crosses his path, that he'll bring it before you. And he'll ask for your wisdom, your guidance, your direction. And that when he moves forward in that decision, he knows that it's been a decision that's been made with the wisdom from above. We also ask, Lord, that he will search out men as the men that are going to stand tonight and say, listen, I have some tough decisions in life to make. Can I get some recommendations? Because that's part of, part of being a man is being able to take the advice of others, especially those that are before us. We know your word says there's wisdom in the counsel of many. So, Lord, tonight as Blake takes this rite of passage, we pray that he will do his due diligence. He will search your heart, your ways. He will realize that your, your way your, is different than any other way. Your love for him is greater than it could ever be that any man or woman could ever have. Your love for him is more important. And, Lord, we know that right or wrong, sometimes we will make decisions, make choices that, that aren't right at that time. But at the same time, Lord, he will know that he can still come back to you, that you still love him, that there's men and women around him that still love him. We'll encourage him and pick him up. So, Lord, we just pray for this guidance and direction in his life. We pray that he will continue to search you out as he makes this decision and takes this step in this rite of passage. Thank you, Jesus, for Blake. Amen. Hello, folks. I'm Jim Harp, the proud grandfather. Now, can you hear me better? <laughs> I think you heard me. I talk pretty loud anyway. But uh, Blake, I express my sincere congratulations to you for achieving this major milestone in your life. You've certainly demonstrated maturity that qualifies you for recognition in this rite of passage from childhood to manhood. When you were born April the 6th, 1996, you started establishing records that applied to you personally, only you. It was recorded on your behalf that you weighed 38 pounds and you was 48 inches long. investigation revealed that, that was uh, somebody had gotten the tape measure and weighing scales out of your dad's fishing tackle box. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, your father David Thew and your mother Danielle Thew are part of your statistics. And uh, all of these statistics were recorded on your behalf. They were the first records you were personally responsible for for but you had absolutely no control you had just made your first appearance into this world when you started to school pretty soon you came home with a report card this report card reflected how well you did in school it was a record that was tied to you personally 
this was the start of records that you were responsible for and for which you had some control. This report card reflected not only how well you learned and did your schoolwork, but also somehow it showed how you conducted yourself and how well you related to the teachers and the children about you. You started to develop a reputation based on your abilities and your conduct. The good reputation you have today reflects how you have influenced others through your young years. It's important that you work hard to maintain a good reputation because a good reputation is valuable in many ways. For example, most any employer, when interviewing a potential employee, looks first at the reputation. A bad reputation is a black mark that employers usually won't overcome. It's hard to overcome a, a mark against a good reputation. Now, while a good reputation is important, there is another measure of one's self-worth that is much more valuable. It's character. Your reputation is based on what others think of you. While character reflects the, what you really are, and only God and you know that. A person could have a good reputation but have a bad character. However, it would be unlikely that one would have a bad reputation if he is a man of good character. In the Bible, the scribes and the Pharisees were well, taught, well thought of by, by their uh, communities. They were Bible scholars and had good reputations. But Jesus didn't have a very good opinion of them. You see, he knew their character. He knew their interest, their uh, innermost thoughts and their motives. He used the whole chapter of 23 of Matthew in, in the Gospels to condemn these scribes and Pharisees for their character. Character was important to Jesus then, and it still is today. Blake, I have total confidence in you as, a, as you mature to, into adulthood. You already have shown extraordinary leadership abilities and have earned the respect of your peers. Your reputation is rewarding, and you've demonstrated the outward appearance of a person of good moral, ethical, and Christian character. I expect nothing short of greatness in your future. God blessings, I pray on you, and I am your proud grandfather. You will do well in, in life, Blake. I have no doubt. I'm Alan Hammond. 
I am a student leader here, so I've uh, had the privilege of watching Blake grow in Christ for quite a while now. Um, I also uh, consider Blake a brother of mine, which he, in a very real sense, is as uh, an adopted son of God, um, and he's also a very good friend um, because I know that he has uh, not only a heart for Christ, but he's got a heart for me. He cares for me and my family, and uh, he'll never know how much I appreciate it. So, so Blake, I am uh, I am charging you tonight with a passion for Christ. Um, and Blake, this is a uh, lifetime endeavor to uh, grow and uh, nurture this passion. Um, I couldn't possibly uh, cover what would be the whole scope of such a thing, so uh, I hope that I keep my time in check. Um, so I have a few qualities to go through, um, and it is not at all exhaustive, nor in any particular order. Um, so I do want to start with uh, Jesus um, uh, in talking to the Pharisees. Uh, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they, grew, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, so I could stop with the first, but I, I, I off the bat, right off the bat, don't, don't want to leave any impression that you can hold yourself up and just worship God and read the Bible and um, thereby have a passion for God. Also, passion in our, in our society is, uh, I think, an interesting thing because I hear a lot that people have a lot of passions. Maybe they have a passion for golf and a passion for carpentry and they've got a passion for their family, and they've got a passion for their church. Um, so I want to be clear here, passion is you love nothing more. It is your greatest love. It is your greatest desire. And that is what God wants us to have for him. So what is a passion for Christ? And what are those qualities in someone who has a passion for Christ? How do we have a passion for Christ? So um, in, in John six twenty eight and 29, uh, it was asked of Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them very simply, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. It's a very simple charge in the surface, but it is um, very, very powerful. You've heard your dad many times say, we do what we believe. And, uh, and I think that that is true. Um, but, but what I want to charge you with very specifically here, Blake, is that um, you believe these verses out of Ephesians and Philippians very specifically that I'm about to read out of Ephesians 2 and Philippians, and, uh, uh, Philippians 1 verse 6. And you were dead in the trespasses of sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Then Philippians, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Cling to that, that it is not your doing, Blake. It is the infinite love of God through Christ. And, and he looks at you daily with a great love. No matter how you trip up, no matter how great you do something, it never changes because Christ has already done the ultimate. And so you are infinitely and forever loved. And this will free you, Blake, now to, um, to surrender to such a, an amazing Lord. A, a, a God who we know from John chapter 15, who calls himself the true vine, and his father the vine dresser. And Jesus says, And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I charge you to cling to Jesus, because apart from him... You can do nothing. And that probably ties into having a heart for humility. And, of course, Jesus himself is our model of humility. A Jesus who taught us that to lead is to serve. And to be first is really to be last. Um, and we hear this of Jesus uh, in... Sorry, flip my page. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in all humility, Blake, love God and love others. Serve others first before yourself. And speaking of love, let's be reminded that the ultimate love, the, the greatest, largest love is the love of God um, that we all know so well from John 3.16, so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
he gave that son for you, Blake. And we also have it, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You see, it is, it's the love for others that marks someone with the passion of Christ. Jesus demonstrated that better than any as he walked this earth. So, how do you grow your love for God? Well, you must know God. So, so Blake, I charge you to be fervent in your zeal for knowing God. Spend time with God in prayer, in word. Um, and, and always remember that uh, uh, you need to eliminate competition. You see, no one can have two masters, as we read in Matthew, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That goes on to say you cannot serve God in money, which is true, but you cannot serve God in yourself as well. So be vigilant over the things that can become idols in your life and separate yourself from God. And... um Finally, well, not quite, almost there. <laughs> Getting close, okay. Um, so, let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which I think is a nice summation um, in what is the passion for Christ. Starting at verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope... It is known also to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Be controlled by the love of Christ. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus though no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And it goes on to talk about being an ambassador for Christ. So it is through Christ's love that then we can love others. And I, man, you are just such a great example of, of having a passion for Christ. Um, you do such a good job already with your friends in loving them through Christ and wanting to show Christ to them and being an ambassador for Christ. I just encourage you to keep doing that, man. Keep cultivating that amazing spirit that you already have. Because it is from this love that we are able to serve, that we're able to seek justice, and that we proclaim the goodness of God. So, now finally, I'll get off the stage. Um, and this is just an encouragement to don't ever leave the battle. Um, 
Because there are going to be times as you keep walking life out that you're going to get knocked down, you're going to stray, you're going to spend time in the valley. Keep the faith. Don't lose hope. Get up in Christ's power, not your own, and return to the works you did at first, which are repent, believe, surrender, and remember that Jesus will always be faithful to complete the good work he has already started in you. I love you, brother. I've known Blake for two years, and he's a pretty exceptional 16-year-old. I think everybody knows what I mean by that. Very unlike um, a lot of 16-year-olds I know. So that's that's who I am. Um, Let me pray to begin. God, we love you. We just thank you for the time we get to spend together here. God, ask you to just bless Blake. Bless him indeed. Give him your influence in the world, Lord. Give him your wisdom. Protect him. Keep him from harm. God, we're so blessed by him. And God, for me, may the, may the meditations of my heart and the words that come out of my mouth be, be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So I'm charged with uh, talking to you about courage and whatever it takes. And so I want to start by explaining what courage is. Um, courage is obedience to God's will in your life, God's plan for your life, no matter the cost. Okay, that's going to be my working definition of courage. So, Blake, we're all intim- imi- imitators. We're all imitators, not intimidators. We're in tall imitators, <laughs> and we're always going to imitate something. Okay, uh, we learn by reading. We learn by school, but we really learn because we imitate people, okay? Um, And I want to suggest that you need to imitate the right people, okay? A few examples, Benjamin over there imitates his mother and makes noises. I mean, she she talks, but he makes noises (laughs) imitating imitating her beautiful voice, so... Uh, he does that. You know, you can see that in, in, in nature. We can see that in you. You imitate your dad. Um, you imitate your mom. There's, those are wonderful people to imitate. Um, and we can see the fruit of that. Even your grandfather. We can see how imitating him uh, has, has built you up in your life. But also imitation, if you imitate the wrong people, it's evil. I it didn't want to have to go any further than a week ago or, or this past week. Some guy thinks he's the joker. And he goes and kills innocent people. Because he wants to imitate an evil villain on a movie, okay? There's people who imitate uh, greed in the world. There's people that imitate um, uh, just all sorts of evil. And I, I want to suggest to you that they're doing that because they see other people doing it and they think that that's a way that they should live and they shouldn't live that way. Instead, I want to suggest we need to imitate Christ, okay? And make your life matter for Christ, that's, that's what I want to talk about. Because we're all imitators, you need to choose heroes in your life to imitate. We're all a product to a certain extent of our surroundings. And so you need to be careful and cautious as you go into relationships as to what those 
relationships are about and who they're with. Paul knew this. He said in the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, he said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Okay, so he's saying to them, Guys, you need to imitate me. Don't imitate these other people around you. Imitate me. You've seen me. You've seen my humility. You've seen how I've preached to you. And I'm imitating Christ. And I want to suggest that you do that, that same thing. With this as a backdrop, I want to suggest two men in history that you should imitate. I want to show you how imitating them has changed my life. And finally, I want to close with a charge for you to make your life matter for God. Okay? The first example, um, probably not surprising, is Jesus. Jesus was God, but he was also fully man, which means that he grew up, he was a baby, uh, he was a little boy. And in the process of reading the scriptures, somebody said something about Isaiah 61. In the process of reading the scriptures, Jesus came to realize that he was the Messiah. There is a point in his life when God somehow revealed to him, you are the chosen one. This is not a scripture about someone else. This is about you. Okay? That was his mission. And the courage of that mission was to submit to God's will, to the Father's will in his life. Okay? The mission is clearly stated in Philippians 2.8. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. If we look back at our, our definition of courage, that is courage. That Jesus would submit to the Father's will and live his life in submission. We see that that wasn't just an easy thing for Jesus. Look at Gethsemane. There's multiple times he went and he just prayed to God, God, this is so difficult. This is so hard. This mission you've given me is beyond, just beyond what I can handle at this moment. But it's not my will. Your will be done. So that same submission and obedience to God, that he just perfectly modeled that. So I want to suggest that to you. God's answer to Jesus' courage is found in the very next verse, verses continuing in Philippians. What happened when Jesus did that? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is the perfect picture of courage. He was obedient to the mission of the Father in his life. Um, is that, it's not counting down. Okay. Anyway, so I think I was going to, I'm not sure if I should cut this part out or not, but anyway, I'm going to go for it. So, okay. All right. Uh, the second one is, is not, I'm not putting them peri passu. These are not equal. Um, this, this is a, just a person. Um, his father left him when he was six years old. He's been misunderstood. Um, but I think there's a lot about him that you need to uh, consider. And I want you to consider um, Robert Lee, Robert E. Lee. Um, as a person that you need to imitate. He had a 32-year military career before he um, had to make a decision about which direction to go um, during the Civil War. He went to West Point. He's apparently the only person at West Point, in West Point history never to get a demerit. And I don't really know. I'm sure that's probably pretty easy to get a demerit. So he didn't do that. Um, he was offered command of the Union forces by Lincoln. But at, he'd fought for 32 years with the men that he was surrounded by. And he just told Lincoln, I cannot raise my hand against my birthplace, my home, my men, my children, 
in my country. To him, Virginia was his country. All the, the war, we, there's not enough time to talk about that, but um, they fought and lost the Civil War. Arlington was his, was his home place, and that was taken from him, and that became Arlington Cemetery. His right to vote was stripped. Um, he was um, still revered, but really didn't have anything left. A lot of his family had been killed in the war. He took on the presidency of Washington College. It was three buildings that had been close to destroyed, uh, 40 students, marginal students, seven professors that hadn't been paid in about five or six years. And out of the ruins of his life, God gave him a new mission. And that mission was rebuild unity in our country by training up Christian men. He had one rule at Washington and Lee. It was to be a Christian gentleman, period. There's no other rules. There's no, no spitting, nothing else like that. It's just one rule. And they only needed one rule because he exemplified that. Uh, for all the men that he was around. So I commend him to you. So what does that mean to me in my life? It means that uh, God has given me a vision for what he wants me to do. And when I consider Jesus as an example, I consider that, God, you've given me something. You've given me a mission to do. I don't even have the right resources to do it, but I trust you for that. And I trust you that you're going to, to provide what I need and my expression of courage is submission to God's will. From Lee, I learned to be a Christian gentleman. And what that means to me is be a man of integrity. Be the same now with you, with my family, at work, anywhere else, to be of one substance. So in summary, I'd say we're all imitators. Choose men who are worthy of imitating and have courage to follow God's will in your life. Thanks. I'm Dave Burke, and as uh, David Dew mentioned, um, we saw a need and, and did a, a rite of passage thing like this for our three boys, and it's just a real honor. I mean, we did it for us, but it's such an honor to see that that tradition is now getting continued, and uh, it's a real honor to be a part of, of your uh, rite of passage here. Um, Blake, over the last couple of years, you've been a part of the ROTC at Grissom, and uh, I suspect that over those couple of years, you probably learned two things uh, above all else. And maybe the first sergeant will help me confirm this. The, the first one is the versatility and the value of the word huah. <laughs> huah is just an amazingly just useful word. Uh, whether you're happy or sad or excited or whatever, huah just fits. And, and uh, there's a reason that the military has adopted that in so many different ways. But really, the, the number one thing that you'll find in the military is the preeminence of mission. And uh, there is everything that the military does, regardless of what service you're in, whether you're on a ship or a boat or a plane or on the ground, mission is the number one thing. Mission first is something you hear over and over and over again. And what's interesting uh, and so important about a mission is whether you are the highest general or the lowest private, you have to understand the mission. It's so vital because there's a big picture and there's also your part of it. And every bit of training that you do in the military, whether it's push-ups or learn how to tear down your weapon or clean your weapon or uh, just uh, any number of things, whether you're looking at uh, individual training or crew training or team training or unit training or training on your missile system or your tank or whatever you're a part of, all that training, all the work that you do is focused on the mission. 
And the reason for that is because ultimately, if everything falls apart in the plan and you are the only man left, it is up to you to pick up that flag as the last man standing and drive to the top of the hill and take that hill because you understand the mission. And one of the key parts of that that gets drilled into soldiers just over and over and over again is it's so important to take care of your individual weapon. Now, there are some soldiers who don't learn that lesson very well. And in addition to cleaning it and, and, uh, and uh, learning how to take care of it, um, sometimes soldiers walk away and leave that. And literally, there are times when soldiers will have their weapons tied to them so they can't lose them. Um, but that just sort of points to, I mean, it makes a guy feel a little embarrassed and a little silly maybe, but the point is it's so important to be equipped, to have the weapon, uh, to know how to use it. You have to practice with it. You, anybody can pick up a weapon, as this guy proved in Colorado, and just shoot randomly and, and do terrible things. But in order to be skilled, in order to accomplish the mission, you have to know how to use your, your, uh, your personal weapon and the tools that are available to you. All right, so that was all military stuff. And normally in a church setting, we don't really talk. When we talk about mission, we don't really think of military mission. But, uh, and, and in fact, we label certain p- people as missionaries, and we have a mission field and, and that sort of thing. And so we can kind of, uh, missions can sort of be isolated in our thinking. But the fact is, just like in the military, there's a big picture mission, and there's our individual part of the mission. And there are certain things about that mission Uh, that um, we may need to team up with other people and we may need to do certain things by ourselves, but we always need need to be ready. And that mission is the advancement of the gospel. There is nothing more important than making sure that everything that we do, all of our training, everything in your life is focused on advancing the gospel. And that may be through your family life. It may be through your friends. It may be uh, here in church. Uh, everything, every encounter that you have is part of that mission. You need to make it part of the mission. And when talking about a personal sidearm or a personal weapon, um, there's nothing uh, in, our, in our faith arsenal like service. And the great thing about service, just like a rifle, is that everybody can use one. Everybody can do service. And uh, a lot of people don't. A lot of people need to have their service tied to them because they kind of walked off and forgot about it. But it's so important that we remember that that is the first line of, of action and defense that we have in our fight for this mission that we have to advance the gospel. Service is the, the most pure expression of the gospel because it puts us below other people. It's a recognition that we are not the, the special person here, that everybody else around us should be more important to us than we are, and that our personal comfort or our desires are secondary to those of the folks around us. We need to be helping people up. Um, service is, is easy in some ways because it doesn't take a lot of skill, but it's also very much like a weapon in that if you're going to serve well, you need to practice. So service is something you need to do over and over and over again. And after you serve, you need to tear it down and look at what you did and what worked and what didn't work. Um, and you'll get better and better at it. Um, service is in my mind, like I said, the, uh, the ultimate expression of the gospel because it, it just takes so many of the aspects of what Christ has done for us and allows us to do that same job. It is us performing the mission that Jesus himself came down and did. So as you strike out on your, uh, your path to manhood, your, 
this, this road to becoming a, a real man, um, I challenge you to keep your eyes on the mission. Make sure you understand the mission. Understand your part in the mission. And whether that, that part of, uh, whether your part of the mission takes you to far-flung places in the world or here in Huntsville, whether it's in school or down at a rescue mission or whatever, it doesn't matter. You need to be able to perform that mission and, and focus uh, all of your actions, especially your service, on doing that. And I got to tell you, um, a lot of people, a lot of these men have gotten up and, and talked about, you know, lots of great things. And all of us have struggled and stumbled on this path to manhood. Um, we've, we've gotten off the path, I'm sure uh, any one of them would admit, that it's, it's not necessarily an easy road. But we're a lot further down that path than, than you are at this point. And, and you probably wonder how you're doing so far. And I can tell you that from where we're standing, you're doing really good. Yeah, they put the short guy last. Uh, laugh. Blaketh. I am, uh, I'm going to talk to you about evangelism a little bit, but as I start off with this, I want to talk to you about evangelism to preach the gospel to yourself because this is not something that you're going to master at some point in your life and then, and then you are considered proficient at it. It is something that you're going to have to grow in a depth of understanding for the rest of your life if you hope to achieve the sense of awe and humility that will help you enjoy worship um, when you are in your senior years. It's something that you're going to have to challenge yourself with so that speaking the language of the gospel is natural to you because it's not something that you learned when you were a boy. It's something that you continue to learn until the day you die. And I'm going to read a passage out of Titus. I'm just going to read a small section out of chapter 3, but I encourage you to go back and read this entire short book. It ends in chapter 3. It'll take you five minutes. But you'll spend the rest of your life absorbing these truths. So five minutes is not going to cover it. Read it often. Read it regularly. Make this a diet that you constantly ingest. Because evangelism, the, the idea that you are going to preach to other people in every action is something that is going to flow through you because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So if you're not bringing this in, you're not giving it out either. As Paul is encouraging his disciple Titus, as, as he is teaching him and reminding him about how to instruct others, about how to teach them. Now he's talking not just about how to reach men and women who've never heard of the name of Jesus Christ, which is a definition of evangelism, certainly. But he's talking to them about how to reach those people who have heard but need to continue to grow in their understanding. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. I'm going to pause right there at the end of that verse because what Paul is reminding Titus is of himself as well. That, that religion 
making yourself a good person is not the gospel. Okay? You're a good kid, but when you were born a baby, you were selfish and you were mean and you wanted what you wanted and you weren't going to take no for an answer and you had to learn. You got some approval with that, Mom? Yeah? You had to learn discipline. You had to learn patience. You had to learn self-sacrifice. But we can learn these things functionally. You can learn how to function because other people don't just give in. So you're surrounded by their selfish people. But what does this say? You are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to the various passions and pleasures in your life. Now, when your grandfather spoke, he said you might be a good reputa- a man of good reputation and not a man of good character. This is that under-the-surface stuff that Paul is talking about. This doesn't just apply to those other people out there who are externally foolish, who are externally disobedient, okay? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. You see, you're not saved by the goodness that you give out to the world. You're not saved so that you can proclaim what a good job you did. You're saved so that you can express what a beautiful, amazing, sacrificial God we love. Because he first loved you. Okay? You are given a task to live out a life that is an heir, a prince, a a son of God, a king and a priest, so that others may see this beautiful God and not believe in the gods that they've made up in their own mind. That there's a real God out there and that he's adopted you. You are a son of David and Daniel Thieu. But you are a son of God, adopted by the Father. And you are... Not saved so that you can just boast in yourself. You are saved so that you can rejoice in awe at who this amazing God is and invite others to do so. So evangelism is not just reciting something. I'm going to tell you there are 10 billion ways to preach the gospel. And that number is not just a random number because there are 10 billion different people. And the gospel, as it, as it soaks into your heart, will come out in a way that only Blake Thu could ever preach it. Because your relationship with God will establish in you the way in which it's going to come out. It's going to come out of a round hole round. It's going to come out of a Blake Thu as the gospel according to Blake Thu. So you need to learn the gospel. Because you think you know it. I think I know it. But we are just children 
learning what our Father is teaching us. Childhood is not something that you just lay down. You don't just, okay, I'll I'll say this and I'll ask for grace later. I'm not sure I know a bigger kid than your dad. (laughs) Manhood is not just about leaving fun behind. It's certainly not about leaving learning behind. And it's not about ceasing the process of growth. It's about taking that full set of responsibility on yourself to say, I have been given a challenge to see the world through the eyes of Blake Thu, to hear the voice of God and proclaim it back out to the world so that you become the unique expression of Christ in us, the hope of glory that God put in you. Blake, I want to charge you that you don't just get to preach the gospel every once in a while. You don't just get to see the gospel when you read scripture. That it is the very pulse of your life that growing into being a man means that you get the awesome responsibility of being able to approach the throne of grace with the confidence and say, you are an heir to the, to the kingdom of heaven, to co-heir with Christ, to be a brother to the one who is the Savior of us all. Blake, I'm going to stand close to this so I don't have to talk so loud. Um... It's amazing to think that we're at this season of life. We were talking the other day, and somebody said, cherish these days when they're little, because before you know it, they'll be driving. And um, at that point, I was like, I don't even know what that means. You know, he's five. All I can picture is little Blake driving at five. (laughs) I can't imagine what it's like when he's 16 and grown. But here we are. You're a young man, as you remind me, with only a couple years left in our house. So we have lots of things that we need to do. (laughs) Um, It's been a joy and privilege to be your mom and to watch you grow and to mature. It's been my honor to be the one with dad to mold you and direct you. But really, I know that um, God is the one who has given us wisdom, given us the wisdom we need to lead and, and direct you in the way that you should go. You've chosen well the many choices in life to this point. You teach me and model Christ to me by the choices that you make. Like even on the way here, and I was frazzled and late, and I forgot something. And he said, Mom, it's all going to be okay. It's a celebration. (laughs) It's going to be all right. Um, So thank you for choosing well in that. I'm not saying, though, that you haven't messed up or made some mistakes along the way. Um, it does happen. And I have a vivid memory of you. Um, and I know you do too. Um, (laughs) of when you were younger and JP was sitting in a little folding chair on our back porch and he fell off. JP fell off the chair, everything. He was in an awkward position and Blake was just standing there watching him fall and sit there and He's crying, and I run out, and I said, well, don't just stare at him. Do something. (laughs) Help 
them, you know? And so, um, he's only four, but <laughs> I'm kind of tough that way. Don't just stand there, do something, even if you're just four. Um, and several years later, he said to me, he said, Mom, I feel really bad about something. <laughs> I had no idea what he was going to say next. And he said, remember that time JP fell off the porch and I didn't want to help him? <laughs> and I said, yeah, kind of. He said, well, should I apologize to him for that? Because <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I said, no, it's okay, Blake. You were four. He was only one. I don't think he remembers. It's all okay. Um, but um, it was in that moment, you know, that I was just shocked that the words that we say as parents are so powerful for our kids, even if they're just four. And, and Blake remembers things that I don't even remember. He has a good mind that way. But um, to, to realize that he remembered that, and he was kind of hurt by it that I yelled at him like that, and I felt bad because I yelled. And um, So I don't know if it was that time that brought you to where you are now to where you're so willing and so ready to help people, but I appreciate that about you. And I'd like to think that maybe I had a little bit to do with that, but... I know it's the Lord that leads you and guides you in your kindness for others to help your brothers, even when when they don't want it sometimes. <laughs> but my charge to you is from one of your favorite verses, Psalms one nineteen nine through eleven. It says, "How can a man keep his way pure? A young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments." I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's my challenge for you. There's a lot of choices that you're going to be making in the years to come, especially the next few years. College choices, uh, while you're in high school, choices there, dating choices, um, a lot of things. And I just charge you to choose well by studying God's word, staying close to the Lord and seeking him in those choices that you'll make. I'm proud of you. While we were on our trip to Colorado, uh, we uh, Blake and I studied some out of uh, Joshua. And um, if you uh, take a look at the first book of Joshua, the first, first few uh, chapters of Joshua, you see that Moses, Moses had uh, just died and the torch was being passed. And though tonight is not about anybody dying to, to pass the torch on, uh, in many ways, because of who you are as family and friends, we are bestowing a torch, and we're handing it to you, Blake. Uh, and in, um, in that story, uh, what we saw, Moses was dead. Uh, we saw that uh, the torch of leadership was being passed to Joshua and saw that God had a destiny for Joshua to lead the people. And a, par- a big part of what was told in the beginning of that was was that, first of all, as, as it's being passed to him, the truths that were being spoken to Joshua is, first of all, God said, I'm with you. I'm with you. So no matter what your destiny is, no matter what it is that God calls you to, God is with you, Blake. Uh, told in there, as a result of that, I mean, just or to trust and love God as a result 
One of the things that's, that's said in there is as a result of God being with Joshua, then there was a charge that said, be strong and very courageous. And I want you to know, Blake, God is with you. Not because of how great you are, but because of how great he is. As a result of that truth, be strong and very courageous. God's love for you is not based on you doing great things or not doing bad things. It's because he's gracious. Therefore, be strong and very courageous. He is with you wherever you go. We're told in there because of the mission that God had for Joshua that he was to meditate day and night on the truths of God. And I charge you that you would be a man, that you continue walking the path consistently, that you say, I want to hear the voice of Jesus as often as possible. And that's what the Bible is. It's the voice of Jesus in your life and in my life. You can be strong and courageous because you know that God is with you. And you can continue to learn and train yourself on this great story of who God is. And as a result of all those things, it was being told to Joshua, many, many people were going to follow him. Many were. And Blake, um, you, you do have some natural gifts of leadership. And so not every man that is going to enter manhood is going to be a leader or have gifts of leadership. Um, and that's okay. Um, the, call, the call first and foremost to every man and to every woman is the call of obedience and of surrender. And if God gives influence to be able to lead others, then you need to be faithful with that. So, Blake, at whatever level that God gives you of, of leading people, what you start with is lead yourself first. Lead yourself. Be a disciple of Christ first. Worship Jesus first. He's going to give you a family. And just like every husband out there, they're called to be a pastor, at least of their family, and to lead their family. And so you don't need to worry about that right now. You don't have to worry about leading an organization. You don't have to worry about leading uh, a business or, uh, or whatever it is that God calls you to lead. You just need to say, God, I, just can, I lead myself by denying, denying my own desires that are not according to you and by trusting you and seeking you. So lead yourself, lead others, and, and we talk about it. Uh, it's, you want to lead others, uh, lead who you can lead as well as you can lead them as far as you can lead them. You're not responsible for anything other than that. Those who want to follow you will follow you. Those who don't want to follow you will not follow you. Just be faithful with those that God's called you to lead as you go forward. And again, my, it's been said, and I'm so grateful to hear folks just proclaiming the gospel but, and to tell you to pre- preach the gospel to yourself, buddy. The greatest truth uh, it, that's within that is that you don't have to be perfect. I mean, we're raising a huge bar for you in a lot of ways. But all, really all we're saying is the bar is set by a Jesus, and he will give you all the strength that you need. You don't have to do it, buddy. And so you don't have to be perfect. Uh, Dave said it well. None of us are perfect. I'm not. You live with me, and you know that. And so I'm here to give you hope. So are these other men. You don't have to have it all together, buddy. Trust Christ. Rest in him. That's the gospel.
What we're going to do now is Blake uh, going to ask you to come and ride at the uh, at the edge of this. Going to ask you to kneel down, and then uh, you men who just spoke, going to ask you to come uh, and with Danielle and stand behind him. And once we get set, I'll invite everybody else who desires to come and just surround, surround, and we're going to have a, a time of prayer, laying our hands on on Blake. And then I, as dad, will uh, will pray next. Father God, we come to you and we give you thanks for the service. We give you thanks for this boy that is becoming a man. We ask, Lord, that you guide his path. We ask that you protect him from harm. We ask, Lord, that you just uh, direct him and, and give him an enjoyment as he travels on your road. Lord, we ask that you bless him especially. Make of him whatever you choose to make of him, but make him a good one, whatever it is. Lord, we just ask that uh, he be obedient to you, and we ask that uh, you recognize him often as your son and coax him along as he goes through life. Lord, we thank you for Blake. He's such a blessing to each one of us, and we know that he's a blessing to you also. We ask you to continue to bless him throughout his life, make him what you want him to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. God, uh, right now, with Dad praying over Blake and me praying over, we just declare that this is a symbol, really, of Heavenly Dad and, and your hand upon Blake, Lord. Um, you love Blake way more than we do. You loved him. You chose him before there was even uh, a universe created. Uh, you decided, I will not leave. Not leave him. I'll never forsake him. I will I will start something in him, and I will finish it. And... Uh, we thank you for that, God. The pressure is not on Blake. Jesus took all the pressure. So, Lord, uh, bless him, Jesus. Protect him. Uh, we declare, Lord, that, uh, that you hold his life in your hand and you desire to be glorified tremendously in and through his life, Lord. He's not done. He doesn't have all, and he doesn't have all the pressures of being 20 or 30 or 40, Lord. Uh, he doesn't have to rush. He can enjoy where he is, and as you continue to give responsibility, that he can take it. Um, but as a new young man, Lord, we thank you for who he is, and we love him. We will pray for him and continue to invest in him, Lord Jesus. Bless him and keep him. May your face shine upon him and be gracious to him. Lift up your countenance on him and give him peace. 
In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Blake is going to stay here, and if you guys go back to your seats, a couple more things we're going to do. And Blake, uh, in just a minute, in a symbolic way, gonna gonna knight you, and uh, just to welcome you into the fraternity of of men. And as you hold the sword, I want you first of all to know that God is your protector. He watches over you. He declares for angels to to be upon you and and to take care of you and. Sometimes he allows things, bad things to happen, but the, major, but the reality is, is no matter what, God himself is with you. He has protected your soul, and he will be with you forever. Also, I want you to know that the word of God, the Bible, is your sword, and uh, it's what will protect you as well. Um, this is what Ephesians 6 says. It says, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Therefore, stand, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making prayers for all of the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Trust in the word of God as as your strength and as your sword. But I also charge you that you would symbolically hold a sword, that you would guard and defend others. God is your defender, and he When you're being accused by your enemy, being accused of being a sinner, God says, no, I declare Jesus a sinner so that I can declare Blake a son. Remember that. Guard others well. Be a warrior by protecting women, protecting children. Help the helpless. Bandage the wounded. May you decrease. May Christ increase in you. I want you to turn and face me. Blake Austin Thew, you come from a line of men. You're a son of David, a son of Paul, 
a son of Kennard, a son of James, a son of Albert. Put boyhood behind you. And in a moment rises a man in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Rise as a man, Blake Austin to you. The rest of the time is Blake's. He will uh, get a chance to say a few short words. And then he, as a man, will close us in prayer. And after we get done, um, refreshments, uh, there's some cake and Cokes that will be served. And uh, I know he'll love to, to hug some necks. All right, Blake, you finish things out. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for spending your time and, and uh, putting it in and uh, spending your time here with me. It's very valuable to me. And uh, Although, you know, it would have been nice to get a lot of money. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, um, no, no, uh, even, if, even if I had gotten a lot of money, um, that, that money would not be as valuable as the time that you've given me. That, the time that you've given me, not just tonight, but, I mean, I've, I've, uh, the reason each one of y'all are here is because I've known y'all for a long time. The time that you've spent with me can never be taken back, and I'm not going to give it back. <laughs> and and uh, I love y'all. Thank you for loving me. And uh, I'm going to pray now. <laughs> uh, God, God, before I before I uh, start being a man, would I look to you? And uh, would I uh, would I hear you? Ladder and everything else, and would I see you clearer than everything else? And that would you, you are bigger than me, you're bigger than my problems, you are my solution, God. So, would you reveal yourself consistently and reveal how big you are? Would you reveal how? great you are, but how weak I am. But, God, would I not lose hope? Would you not, uh, would you not lose your grip on me? Would you uh, have such a type of hold on me that I wouldn't be able to get rid of you if I wanted to? God, uh, God, oh. God, I pray, would you give me the strength not to run away? And would you pursue me if I do? God, but don't. Would you please, God, I surrender, and I can't do it. But you already have. So thank, thank you. God, would I not just thank you with my words, but I thank you with the rest of my life. In your name I pray, amen.